Good morning. My name is Wade, and uh, I'm glad that I get to bring the word to you guys this morning. I want to say hello to our friends who are watching on our live stream. Um, this is your second to last chance you'll be able to watch us on the live stream. So, um, like we mentioned last week, we have our final live stream next week on YouTube. So, um, we invite you to join us and um, rub shoulders with uh, your fellow church members and worshipers. So, today we are concluding a short series that we began in, the, in August in the book of 1 Corinthians. And um, uh, it's kind of a mini-series because we've only been going through the first two chapters of this book. And maybe one day we'll have a chance to go through the entire book, but uh, we'll conclude the series today. And kind of to give you an idea of what to expect over the next few moments... Um, I'm going to give an extended introduction to our text. I'm going to give a recap of the of uh, the, the past few sermons that we've given in 1 Corinthians, and um, and then I'll explain the text, and I'll talk about the implications of the text for us as a church. So my objective as we've been going through the book is to get us to more fully appreciate what we have in the gospel and for us to think about what it means for indelible grace church to be rooted in the gospel and to teach the gospel and to preach the gospel and to live the gospel because we've had a difficult year and sometimes we've been distracted, but what is at the foundation of what we do? We always need to remember, no matter what happens, no matter what season we're in, our church needs to be about the gospel. And guess what? Me preaching a few sermons about that isn't going to change the culture of the church all that much. But if the Spirit of God is moving here at IGC, if we're receptive to what he's doing, if we're willing to submit to him and follow his leading, then something great can happen at this church. And I believe that something great is happening here, even though sometimes it it seems faint to us. But if the gospel is the very power of God, if the gospel is the very power of God, then what do you expect? What do you expect I last spoke a few weeks ago, and one of my main points was that the gospel is what lies in the deepest parts of God. And let me read you um, a verse from the passage that I went over last time. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And one of my points was that at the very deepest parts of God is the gospel This is in the very heart of God. The gospel is the very power of God. Again, like I've said before, the gospel is not a description of God's power. The gospel is God's power. And here, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work my way back from the uh, work my way way back from today's passage to the beginning of 1 Corinthians as a way to recap the things that we've learned in this series, um, so we can see the logic of Paul's. The logic of Paul in this letter. So before we focus on the final three verses of chapter 2, I want us to see what he's written that's led us here. So I'm going to begin this backwards journey and uh, hope you can follow along. So like I said, the gospel is hidden in the depths of God, and it's only the Spirit of God who can search the depths of God and make the gospel known to us. 
because the Spirit does the work of revealing the gospel to us, it means that the communicator of the gospel in the Corinthian church, it was Paul. At IGC, it's me. It's Pastor Tom. It's whoever is going to speak here from the pulpit. It means that the, that the communicator of the gospel does not carry the burden of being persuasive or wise because the gospel is powerful enough on its own and the gospel message does not need to be embellished. It does not need to be propped up by rhetorical skill or charismatic speakers. Therefore, those who believe the gospel, who hear the gospel as it's communicated faithfully, their faith rests not in the church that they're a part of, not in the speaker, but in the very power of God. This is what Paul writes in this letter. The gospel changes us. The gospel scrambles the way that we think about ourselves and the way that we think about reality. Paul writes, if you remember, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And those who are a part of the church, if it's you, IGC and all the believers all over the world, we can boast in our weakness. We can think about ourselves differently. We can rejoice in our low stature in the world. We can be totally okay with our physical and social and emotional and intellectual shortcomings because our boast is only in the Lord. Jesus is our righteousness and holiness and redemption. Again, this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. And before that, Paul says... God is committed to destroying everything that does not communicate that in some way. Every worldview, every philosophy and religion, every academic program and school of thought, every intellectual system that serves as the basis of the podcast that we listen to and the movies and documentaries that we watch and the books that we read, everything that says that there is life outside of Jesus Christ, everything that says that reality can that reality can be defined apart from the Trinitarian God. God says, I'm completely committed to destroying all of that. One day, all these things will be shamed. They will be destroyed by God. They will be revealed to be foolishness, true foolishness. And I'm going to continue to go back in 1 Corinthians. The message of the cross is the most important message that we can hear. Christ crucified, and the message is what unites the church. If you remember 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, this was written to the Corinthian church, which is full of people from all different backgrounds, all different socioeconomic levels, different uh, political viewpoints, ethnicities. And these members of the church, they had their favorites in the church. Some said, I follow this leader. Other people said, I follow that leader. I'm right. You're wrong. If you were a part of the first Corinthian church, uh, the, the Corinthian church in the first century, you would probably leave after a few weeks. And Paul tells the church that because the message of the cross is true, they now have a shared identity in Jesus alone, despite their differences in the church. All had the same problem, all had the same savior, all had the same purpose. Their problem was that they were sinners deserving the wrath of God. Their Savior was the Lord Jesus Christ who took their sin upon him and gave them his perfect righteousness so that now God would love them with the same intense love that he had for his Son. And the purpose of everyone in the Corinthian church was now to honor and worship 
and follow Jesus and to share the gospel and make other followers of Jesus, Matthew 28. So what we've been hearing through the first two chapters of 1 Corinthians is this, that the foundation of the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message that we're called to hear and preach is the word of the cross, Paul says. And this is a strange message. This is the foolishness of God to the world. If you really think about what the gospel says and what the gospel means and what the gospel implies for our lives, what comes to mind should not be, oh, that's pleasant, that's nice. That's something that an organization can preach and get a 501c3 tax status over. No, the gospel that we preach, hopefully faithfully, should be offensive and strange. The implication is that the church must be distinct from the rest of the world. The church is supposed to be out of step with the rest of the world because the central message that we preach is foreign and strange. It's offensive, and if you let it do its work, it will dismantle the life that you thought that you could live. And this doesn't mean that the gospel is nonsensical. It doesn't mean that there are not elements of the gospel that are attractive in some ways to the world. But there are some absolutely offensive things in the gospel. It says something about our own nature. It says something about our motives and our whatever is happening inside of us. It says there's something wrong, deeply wrong with us. But the gospel is also the most beautiful thing in the world. The gospel is the best Thing that we can hear. And if it's not, then I invite you to stay for the rest of the service, enjoy the pizza that we'll have later, and then leave and never come back. Because we're all wasting our time if the gospel is not true. But if it is, if it is, then we've got something in Delville Grace Church. This is what IGC is about. This is what we want to continue to be about. Despite all that's happened at this church over the past season, when Pastor Tom and I preach, this is what we're about, the gospel. When the children's ministry does their work and the music ministry, the AV, the greeters, the small groups, the Nehemiah study, the mercy ministry, everything that we do is about the gospel. And all this is communicated to us by the Spirit of God. And this is what today's passage is about. So finally, I'm going to read today's text. That was a 10-minute and 38-second introduction. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And this is the word of God. So our church is called to do ministry. Our church is called to preach the gospel. But we've got a big problem. When we preach the gospel, it's with the intent of affecting people, of changing people, of people being saved from their sins so that they can follow Jesus. And 
to simply speak a message is not that difficult. I could read things to you, and you could find people on the internet that could do things better than how I do it or how anyone else here can do it. But for there to be meaningful change to happen here at this church, it's something that we can't do. We don't want people to simply know about Jesus. We want people to love Jesus. We want people to worship him and honor him with their lives. And this is something that we cannot do. Um, let me give you an illustration that, uh, a few, that, that kind of helps me understand what's happening here. Um, a few years ago, there, I, I, I was cooking and... Um, just a, a thought struck me, and this was um, about two or three years ago, and um, again, it's food-related, so I'm sorry. Um, I, I, one, th- one thing that I really enjoy is a steak. I don't enjoy steak as much as I enjoy Taco Bell, but it's close. So um, a while back, I made, um, I made a steak for dinner, and of course, ribeye, um, medium rare. I season it with a mix- mixture of kosher salt and fresh ground pepper, and then a, a pat of Kerrygold butter. Not the regular butter, the Kerrygold butter. Um, I, I, I cook it at 129 degrees for two hours in a sous vide bath. If I want it a little bit more uh, tender and soft, maybe four hours in a sous vide bath. And then I take it out. I sear it on the cast iron skillets and uh, just 30 seconds on each side because you don't want to overcook it. And then I let it rest for five minutes on, the, on, on, on a plate. And then I cut it open with a knife, of course, and when I open it, it's juicy, and it's pink inside. It's flavorful with just the right amount of bite when I bite into it, and it is delicious. So I was eating it, and then my, my son, uh, Zachary, this was, he was about three years old at the time. Um, I was like, I-, I want him to enjoy the same thing that I'm enjoying. Um, he's not eating something that's as good as what I'm eating. So I want him to have what I'm having. So what I do is I, I cut him a piece. I offer it to him. But of course, he didn't want it. So I told him, no, it's, it's really good. It's, I mean, I spent a lot of time making this. You should enjoy it. I want you to enjoy it too. And still, he didn't want to eat it. And I was sad because at that point, I, I realized, well, maybe I've failed as a father um, because he's not enjoying the experience of eating a ribeye steak. So I kept on pushing him. And he still wouldn't try it, so I, I gave up, and he that night he never ate this uh, tender, delicious piece of ribeye steak. And I had to ask myself, how do I get my son to love this steak as much as I do? Should I read him testimonies of people that enjoy steak? Should I explain to him how the taste buds on his tongue experience a certain sensation when there's steak in his mouth? Should I explain to him the nutrients in the steak will make him stronger? Should I speak loudly to him and say, your dino bites are nothing compared to this delicious steak? Should I force the steak into his mouth? And my son was three years old. He could not understand this. None of that would have worked because he doesn't have the capacity to understand those things. And even if he could, as logical as these things may be, they won't make him love steak. There has to be something that happens inside my son that will make him want to take that bite of food. And I can't make him do it. I can't make him love 
the same thing that I love. It's something that's out of my control. And as much as I want him to enjoy it, it's out of my control. And so it is on a much larger scale. We're not talking about stake here. We're talking about the message of the cross. In the heart of every person is either the capacity or the inability to love the gospel. And the great barrier that we have as a church when we try to carry out our ministry is that we cannot change the hearts of the people who walk in here or listen on our live stream or download our podcast. Why? Look at verse 14 of this chapter. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Paul is telling us this, that we as a church, we can have the smoothest logistics. We can have a nice space like here at Creekside. We can have smart and articulate leaders and elders that speak to the congregation. We can speak things that are factually true. We can have a great children's ministry. We can have a great worship band. We can have really charismatic people in this church. But nothing meaningful will ever happen here if these are the things that we rely on, if these are the things we're counting on to convince people that the gospel is good and true. Why? Because there is a deadness in people. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because he cannot. And here, Paul, as he writes to the church, he's saying this, that all the things that matter, all the things that are of the gospel, all the things that are in the deepest parts of God, they cannot be understood because these things can only be spiritually discerned. They cannot be judged or evaluated with a proper understanding if left to ourselves. And Paul, he says earlier in 1 Corinthians, he says, the gospel is either foolishness or wisdom to you. It's one of the two. The spiritual things will always be foolishness to those who do not understand the things on a spiritual level. And Paul says that the people that don't understand it, they are, what, they're natural people. These people are not odd. They're not unintelligent. They're not ill-intentioned. They're not enemies of the church. We don't look down on them. They're just natural people. You and I are like that. You and I were like that. They're not bad people. But their default mode is to look at things simply as they are. What they, can, what they can sense and feel and figure out through their five senses, through their thinking. But Paul the, says here the implication is this, that there are two realms that exist. There is the natural and there is the spiritual. But the thing about what we do as a church is we tell a different story than what this, the world tells. There is a story that is truer and better and greater than any other story that the world can tell. In order for us to get this, in order for us to get the spiritual, something beyond the natural has to intervene. And this is bad news for us. It means that we can't do it on our own. But it's also good news. Because it means that the good news, it means that the gospel is understandable not by what we do, 
not by our conversations, not by our sermons, not by how welcoming this community is. The gospel becomes real and true when God does his work. Mark Dever, he says this about the work of the church. Remember that churches exist to work for supernatural change. The whole Christian faith is based on the idea that God takes people who are spiritually dead and gives them new life. Whenever we evangelize, we are evangelizing the cemetery. Listen to that again. Whenever we evangelize, we are, va- we are evangelizing the cemetery. There's never been a time or a culture when it, when it was natural to repent of your sins. That culture doesn't exist. It hasn't existed. It never will exist. Christians, churches, and pastors especially must know deep in their bones that we've always been about a work that's supernatural. From that standpoint, recent cultural changes have made our job 0% harder. And this is good news because it means that our calling as a church is not just difficult, it's impossible. And if we want to see people who get the gospel and be changed by it, then we have no choice but to rely on the Spirit of God to do His work in us and through us. And it means that we have to make room for the Spirit in our lives. It means that we have to pay attention. And we're all spirit deaf. We all have to fight this tendency to shut off what the Spirit is telling us. It means that we have to hold loosely to our plans. And when we truly rely on the power of the Spirit of God, that's when we'll experience the power of the Spirit of God. Um, To put it negatively, maybe we don't experience the power of God because we're unwilling to put ourselves in a situation where he has to move, where we have no other choice but to say, God, if you don't do this, then we're done for. God, if you don't do this, then why do we exist? Have you ever been bored at this church? Have you ever wondered what in the world we're doing? Part of the problem might be because we're only experiencing what human effort can bring about. Have you ever felt distant from God? Have you ever considered because it's because you don't want God to be close? Because if you want to be close to God, it means that you have to submit to what he's doing. Sometimes we're afraid that he'll want more from us than Sunday mornings and 4 or 5% of our paychecks. We don't want our lives and our sins to be interrupted. We don't want to feel conviction. One of the things that Jesus says in the Gospels is, the Spirit, he convicts. And if you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, then be ready to be convicted of your sins. Because he'll dig around in places that we don't want him to, and he will move us to repentance. But what happens if our church really submits to the Spirit of God? And this is when he can change hearts. This is when the natural man becomes the supernatural man. This is when we'll see something both scary and beautiful happen at this church. The Spirit of God not only reveals what is true, but he lets us see what is true as beautiful. He doesn't just inform our minds, he changes our minds. 
And when the Spirit of God searches the depths of God, and when he communicates the gospel to us, we are changed, sometimes immediately and sometimes after many, many years. But ultimately, we are changed. That's in verse 14. And look at verse 15. I want to point out one one phrase in verse 15 that is... um, I I missed it as I've been going through this text. It took me... um, multiple readings to finally understand there's something being said in this in these in this passage that is i think pretty weighty verse 15 the spiritual person judges all things but is is himself to be judged by no one we are judged by no one what does that mean if we are being assessed and evaluated there are certain metrics that people will look at to make a judgment upon us, about us. There are certain characteristics that we have. Maybe our performance in the academic world or the professional world or in our family or in our relationships or fill in the blank. It might be our IQ or our our EQ. We think about our skill sets and we think when people see me, what do they see? These are the things they see. These are the things they, they can judge. And because we often care about what people think of us, We're constantly engaging in things that will make us look better, that will cause us, hopefully, to look better in the eyes of the people that we think are looking at us. So we need to ask ourselves, what really is our identity? What is it that makes me who I am? What is it that I want people to see when they see me? What is it that we want people to think when they think indelible Grace Church? Who tells us who you are? Is it the little voice in your head? Is it your enemy or your boss or your critic or whoever it is that looks into your life? Who tells you who you are? Whose opinion about you makes you anxious or elated? Paul says, we are judged by no one because the gospel says that someone has already judged you. A judgment about you has already been made on the cross. And this is the judgment on the cross of Jesus Christ. The judgment of God, his anger toward our sin and his wrath against the ways that we've dishonored him fell on Jesus. Jesus was judged and we can hide ourselves in him. And if you hide yourself in him, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then he is your identity now. Not your skill sets, not your IQ or EQ, not your accomplishments. Jesus is your identity. If we have a tendency to let the opinions of other people affect us, then this word of the cross becomes precious to you when you understand it. Do you understand this? If you belong to Jesus, God has something to say about you. And let me tell you, this is God's judgment on you. All right, listen to this. You are loved with an everlasting love. You are his child. God is your good father, and he sings songs of joy over you. You belong to God. 
and he will hold you when you're shaking like a leaf. He will defend you when you're attacked. He will protect you when you're scared. You've been given a spirit of power and love and of self-control. And nothing you do will ever change that because when he looks at you, God sees the righteousness of Jesus. This is what is true of you. This is the judgment upon you. And this is why Paul says, we are judged by no one. Whatever people say of you, God says, that is false. What I say about you, this defines you. This defines a double grace church. So when the gospel sinks in, when the spirit takes the gospel and, it, and he works into our innermost being, we are changed. So Paul continues on. Verse 16, he says, We now have the mind of Christ. We now have the mind of Christ. The song we sang earlier about the love of God, let me uh, thank you, Justin, for leading that song. Let me um, read you a verse that you guys sang. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. The picture that we're given in this song is this. If you could write about the love of God for the next 50 trillion years, that would not scratch the surface I would not scratch the surface of how much God loves you. And how could you ever understand how much God loves you with your finite mind? How could you ever understand how much you are loved by the God of the universe? Unless the Spirit of God changes your mind. And not into a better version of your mind. Not a for me, it's Wade 2.0. God doesn't change it to that. He changes it. He gives us the mind of Christ. Paul says here, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God gives you the mind of Christ. The Spirit of God has revealed to you what is true, and now you have the ability to see the reality as Christ sees it. Christ understands how much Christ loves you because he went to the cross to prove it to you. He would go through hell for you. He did go through hell for you to save you, to make you his own. The Spirit of God, he changes our minds so that we can start to begin to see how true the gospel is and how deeply we are loved. The mind of Christ understands that the folly of the world is the wisdom. How the, what is folly to the world is the wisdom of God. The mind of Christ understands the message of the cross. 
the message of the cross runs contrary to the message and values of the world. And this is what we have to rely on as a church. This is what we need to make the engine of our church. This is what drives everything that we do. And when we do, we put ourselves in a position where we have to rely on the Spirit of God. That you are loved this much by God. That the gospel is true. Eloquent words can move us emotionally. Wise words will change our minds. Hospitable people will make us feel welcome at this church. Charismatic people will make us feel good about ourselves. Religious cultures will make us do charitable things. Well-run organizations will impress us. Beautiful music will entertain us. Good children's programs will relieve us and allow us to pay attention and serve our children well. A building, one day if we have one, will give us a sense of community and rootedness. Healthy financial numbers will make us feel safe. I hope that we as a church have all these things one day. I would love for us to have a building. I would love for us to be great financially. I would love for us to have a full band. I would love for us to have lots and lots of charismatic people and socially savvy people and smart people and generous people. I would love to have these things. But here's the thing. You don't need the Spirit of God to have any of that. We can do that on our own. So question for us. Why are we here? And do we really believe that what we do is supernatural? Do you really believe that the problems of the human heart and of the world cannot be fixed by some guy preaching from a few pages from the pulpits or by having a few studies over Zoom on Wednesdays? Do you really believe that we can solve these problems? We can't. We need the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit to change hearts around us. We need the Spirit of God to change our own hearts. We need to have the mind of Christ to comprehend what is deep in the heart of God. So that means for us, what God has called us to as a church is impossible. So then how shall we do it? And let me finish with this. Consider how many people we have in this room. A few dozen. We've got a few more people outside. You can hear them. And what if we all have the mind of Christ? Several dozen people who are here at this church on board with what the Spirit of God is doing. Several dozen people who understand how deeply loved they are, how deeply God loves our community. What if we had that? What if we could think about our own ministries, our own whatever we're doing, and say, I haven't been doing uh, things by the Spirit of God And the fruit shows it. What if we thought hard about that? Or for those who are still a part of this church and were hesitant to step into the space to serve because we don't want to be uncomfortable or inconvenienced, um, maybe we need to be repenting of how we're trying to protect ourselves and thinking that what we do here is simply... 
administrative work or simply keeping us busy. For those of us who've been ignoring what the Spirit has been telling us, maybe we need to rethink what we're hearing. Maybe we need to repent of our deafness. And if you have a cold love for God, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. For those of us who have low expectations of what can happen in our own lives or in our families or our small groups or our ministries or what can happen at Indelible Grace Church, we need to repent of thinking that God is small and the Spirit is weak. Zechariah 4, 6, this Old Testament prophet, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. By my spirit. Will you pray with me? Father God, we, um, we come to you asking that you would make known to us what is true, that the spirit would work in our lives and in our hearts. I pray that you would reveal to us what we have in the gospel, this deep, furious love of God for his children, Would you remind us that we have the mind of Christ so that we could begin to grasp even faintly how much you love us and how much you love Indelible Grace Church, God. And I pray that you would reveal to us um, our sins, the things that we need to repent of by the Spirit. Uh, Make this true of our church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.